0: and say, look, God loves you. God cares for you. God wants a relationship with you. God has provided for you. Look back in the many ways that God has delivered you into his presence and been faithful to you. And yet, right now, you're looking around, and you're coming to him with half-hearted worship, expecting that he give you his best. And when he chooses not to because of your disobedience, because he can't bless what you're bringing, you turn and you say you don't love us anymore. Brothers and sisters in Christ, that's where we are this morning. That's where we are in the book of Malachi. And to be honest with you, last week we talked about the idea of bringing leftovers before God. Bringing our leftovers before God and expecting him to bless us. What was happening in this sort of time frame was the people of God as well as the priests that were taking the offering were allowing individuals to come and sacrifice blemished animals. Now, for us, that's not a very big deal. We are not in a sacrificial system anymore. That's not how we worship. But what was going on was rather than bringing their best mail that they were asked to do, just one, okay. they were coming forward and they were bringing either females or they were bringing blemished animals that had either a heart condition or some sort of illness or perhaps a broken leg and they were saying that'll do that'll be a good enough offering it's fine we'll go ahead and do that and the priests were accepting it and they were moving forward and they were doing the sacrificial system and everything looked good because they were going through the motions But God was looking at it and says, that's exactly what you're doing. You're just going through the motions. You don't have a heart for me. You don't have a desire to truly worship me. When all I ask of you is that you bring me your best offering, and yet I've given you so much. And so Malachi comes forward, and he brings a message to the people. Now the challenge in this and the joy in this is this is the last time that a prophet will speak to the people of God. Okay, As we look in the Old Testament, what we see is Malachi comes forward in and around 460 B.C., begins to prophesy this and warn the people of God, hey, God isn't happy with you. But I want to be careful in this, because what we recognize is that while he comes forward and says, God is not happy with you, he says... Even though he's not happy, and even though he is, if you continue doing what you're doing, going to wipe animal dung on your face and take you out with the trash. I still love you, says God, and I will always love you. And I will bring about a messenger who will deliver you. And that's where we end in Malachi. But interestingly enough, we have to recognize in this story that after Malachi brings this prophecy, there's 400 years of what we call prophetic silence or what is known as the intertestamental period. And then we move to the New Testament. Then, as is prophesied in Malachi, John the Baptist comes forward and says, Yes, I'm here, but there will come another greater than I. And hence, a little bit later, comes Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. That's the story of Malachi. But let's reverse back and let's look at this. It's kind of hilarious when we see God rebuke his people and look at them and say, you know what, if you keep doing what you're doing, I'm going to wipe animal dung on your face and I'm going to throw you out with the trash. But the reason that he's saying this is it's the consequence of the choices of the actions that the people are coming forward in apathetical worship to God. I'm going to go through the motion. I'm going to come. I'm going to look good on the outside. I'm going to do what I got to do. I'm going to do what's asked. But in reality, if you get into the nitty gritty of what is asked of me, my heart isn't there. I'm just trying to get by. I'm trying to make other people think that I look holy, but really inside, my heart isn't for you, Lord. so brothers and sisters in Christ, while we're not back in the Old Testament, the reason that we're looking at Malachi is just simply asking us a question. Where is our heart for God? Truly, where is your heart for God? Are you giving him your best? And last week we talked about the fact that when we look at God and we realize that He has given us His best, it motivates us to want to give God our best. But better yet, when I realize that yes, I do want to give God my best, but transparently, can I tell you that I give God my best 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 365 days a year? No, I don't. I'll be honest, I don't. I try, I want to, But there are some days where, you know what, I probably deserve him saying, hey, Trev, you know what, with the way your heart is for me right now, I'm going to wipe animal dung on your face and throw you out with the trash. But what motivates me is that God can say it, and yet he never does it, does he? That's where we are in this. This is where we're looking in this passage in Malachi. We're in Malachi chapter 2. We're going to be looking at the first nine verses. I've laid essentially the context of what's transpiring. We start off, and I'm just going to briefly kind of bring us up to chapter 2. But in chapter 1, we see it's an oracle or essentially a burden brought by the prophet Malachi, messenger of God. Whenever you see an oracle or a burden... You need to take notice. This is time to kind of stop what you're doing and say, wait a minute, God's brought about a prophet with an oracle or a burden. Something isn't right. I need to take notice. I need to look into my heart. I need to realize what's happening. God is telling me something that I need to either change, repent of, or ask for forgiveness for, or a combination of all three. And then it says, I have loved you, says the Lord. Now, this is important to recognize. I have loved you. I've said it before. It's not finite. It's not like I've loved you, but I don't love you anymore. Like I used to love you, but not now. The manner of how this is written in Hebrew is I have loved you, and then it looks essentially with a reverberative effect back into the past. It's I want you to look back to how I have loved you and provided for you. And so right there, we need to look back into the Old Testament and see how God has cared for his people all the way through them being taken into exile and brought back to the land of promise. And how they've established now worship again. How they've built the altar. How they've built the city. How they've built the walls. You are back and I've given so much to you. I have been faithful to you because you are my people. And they look around and they say, yeah, that's great, but we want more. You're not giving us enough. We want our house. We want our uh, you know, pie in the sky. You, God, exist too." bring us happiness, pleasure, wealth, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And when you don't, we don't feel that we're loved. Just going to throw it out there. We don't do that, do we? You know, there's times when I look at what God has done for me, just in the simple fact that back in the day I had no desire to worship God. Sure, yeah, I would go to church, I did a couple of things, but I, d- I didn't know Jesus. I didn't want a relationship with him. I just kind of went through the motions. God was kind of far off, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And then to be honest with you, there was a period in my life where I really didn't want anything to do with God. I could care less. I was angry at Him. and I thought anybody that wanted to worship God was crazy. And yet through all of that, God stayed patient with me. God continued to draw me to Himself. And then in college, in a period of humility and brokenness, God brought me to him lovingly, caringly and with his whole heart. And I would love to tell you that afterwards, once I became a follower of Jesus, that my life just completely changed. Now, I will be honest. It did. I had a different trajectory. But I still struggled with things. I still looked and I still desired things of the world. And yet God was patient. And yet, what drew me more to him was realizing how much he had given me and you. This isn't about me. I'm just giving you my walk with him. He had given me his best, his one and only, I talked about this last week, his one and only son so that I, when not wanting a relationship with God, could have a relationship with God 100% be declared righteous and be adopted as a son into the kingdom of God with full rights and privileges and having my eternal salvation secure. That's God's best. I haven't earned it. I didn't intellectualize myself to it. I didn't buy it. I didn't cheat to get to it. I stood there by grace through faith, and God said, here, I give you my best. And that's what God does for all of us. And so God is turning to the people, similarly here, saying, look, I've done this for you. And now, as you have been given the best, you're asking for more, and you're coming forward, and when I'm not giving you more, when I'm disciplining you, you tell me, how have you loved me? We said earlier, one of the marks, brothers and sisters in Christ, sometimes when we don't get what we want, we sort of feel that pinch of God, or we feel being, we're being disciplined by him, our natural inclination is to say, what's wrong? God, are you there? Do you care? Are you here? Are you not there? Why are you doing this? What I want to lovingly tell you sometimes, brothers and sisters in Christ, is we need to remember that God disciplines those whom He loves. Perhaps we're being disciplined not because God is mad, but because God loves us. It would be wrong for me to never discipline my children. It would be unloving for me to not move forward and discipline them, particularly when they're disobedient. And that's what God is doing here. He's saying, look, you've been and are disobedient, and I'm here to tell you that I'm going to discipline you if you continue doing what you're doing. And so this morning, After we see him talk about blemish sacrifices, after we see the evidence, God's saying, look, what I'm pointing to is the fact that you're coming forward and you are literally giving me your leftover. And then you're expecting me to bless that. And then when I don't, you wonder or question why I'm not. That's what God is saying. And so, brothers and sisters in Christ, what I want to tell you is sometimes in life, we need to go back and we need to look into our relationship with him. And not always. I mean, sometimes life happens. Sometimes difficulty happens. Sometimes life just happens. But one question that we need to ask ourselves is this. If we feel that God is distant from us, perhaps it's because we're distant from him. Perhaps it's because we're not giving him our best. We're coming forward, giving God our leftover, and saying, here's my leftover, God. Now take it and bless it. And we're doing the same thing. God, I've given you my leftover. I want you to bless it. when God says, I can't do anything with this, we become upset with him. And then in Malachi chapter two, he begins to give an admonition to the priests. Now, for a minute, you all kind of say, okay, great, I don't need to listen to this. This is the priests. I'm not a priest, I'm a follower of Jesus. That's on Keith and Trevor. Sorry. What happened to the priesthood of all believers? You are priests, we all are priests. When we become a follower of Jesus Christ, it's not just on my, my and Keith's shoulders. Now, Keith and I are held accountable, but you can't sit here this morning saying, okay, well, this is just a sermon that Trevor and Keith need to pay attention to, and I'm going to take a snooze and not worry about it. Because what God is doing is he's saying, brothers and sisters in Christ, I've brought you into my family. You've become a priest of all believers. You are the church. You are the example. You are the ones that go out and bring salt and light to the living world. And so as we dive into chapter 2, we're going to ask a simple question. How should we respond when we find that our hearts have become apathetic toward God? Nobody's hearts here has ever become apathetic toward God, has it? I mean, we're always on fire for Him. We always want to do what we can for God. We never become complacent, do we? We never come and just kind of go through the motions. We never come and just kind of cruise through worship. We never come and look and say, man, the pastor's going long. I've got a football game coming up. We never look at our watch and say, gosh, I hope he hurries up because if not, we're going to lose our reservation and the church across the street is going to get there before me and I'm not going to be able to get in and have my meal. Do we? But better than yet, let's go beyond that. Brothers and sisters, what I'm here to encourage you in is that the relationship with Jesus is so much more, although it's not bad, than coming and sitting in a pew or in a chair on Sunday morning. This is important. This is the time that we take to worship our Lord and Savior collectively as a church body. But I want to tell you that there's so much more to the Christian walk than coming and spending an hour to an hour and a half sitting in a chair on a Sunday listening to some guy tell you that if you don't behave, God is going to put animal dung on your face and carry you out with the trash. And so what I want to ask is, when you find your heart has become apathetic, what's the proper response? How should we look at this? And what should we recognize that we're doing to the heart of God who desires an intimate relationship with us, who loves us unconditionally, but wants us to give our best to Him. Now last week I put this in, okay, but I'm putting it in again because I think it's important for us to see. And that is simply this. Through this whole part of chapter 1 and chapter 2, we have to see that the imperfect sacrifices the people of God were giving to Him were a denial of God's perfect character. Okay? That's so important to see. Which they, the people of God, were and are supposed to reflect we are as followers of jesus supposed to reflect the perfect character of god now i want to be very careful this is not legalistic this is not that you have to look like me talk like me do what i do say what i say but what i want to ask you is this lovingly, how can we reflect the perfect character of God who has delivered us from sin and death on the cross and given us eternal life from which we have an eternal inheritance from which when we die we receive the words, well done, brother, sister son, daughter in Christ, welcome to my banquet feast. How do we reflect that? When we come to church on Sunday morning and sit in a pew for an hour and a half and then throw God out the window until the following Sunday. God's perfect. Oh, we want God. We worship God. He's amazing. He's awesome. We come and we worship and we sing and we look good and we do our thing and it's wonderful. And all the time we're coming forward to the altar when God is saying, bring me an unblemished male, the best that you have, just one. You have more. I've given you everything. And what we do is we walk up and as we're supposed to do this, we look and we say, you know what? This is too much. I'm going to get away with that. And I'm going to bring him a blemished sacrifice and I'm going to lay it on the altar and I'm going to say okay God I know I'm supposed to do this when you have done that but this is too much so I'm going to give you this and get away from it and when I give you this which is a blemished animal of which you've told me I should not do I'm going to get upset when you say I can't bless that and then I'm going to get mad at you God because you're not blessing me in my life And I'm going to begin to question you and say, God, you don't love me because you're not giving me what I want. But don't tell anybody that I don't love you with my whole heart because that's the truth. Brothers and sisters, we're supposed to reflect the perfect character of God. It doesn't mean we're supposed to be perfect. That's not what I'm talking about. We are imperfect, made perfect through Jesus Christ. But my question is, is, where is our heart for him? Do we want to reflect the perfect character of God? Do we desire to do that? Or are we coming on a Sunday, giving God an imperfect offering and expecting him to bless us when our hearts aren't in the game? we continue on, we're in chapter 2, and essentially, after talking about these injured or crippled, half-hearted offerings, Malachi turns, and he says, and now this admonition is for you, O priests. And again, earlier I've said, as much as I would love to tell you that Keith and I have to pay attention to this, you do too. Because in the New Testament, we are the priesthood of all believers. It says, if you do not listen, okay, conditional, It's not, I'm going to do this no matter what. It's conditional. If you do not listen, and if you do not set your heart to honor my name, right there, stop. This is the key. This is exactly why Malachi is coming before the people of God. If you're not going to listen, and you're not going to set your heart on me, then consequence. says the Lord Almighty, I will send a curse upon you and I will curse your blessings. Yes, I have already cursed them because you have not set your heart to honor me. Now I want to take a minute. Has anybody been taking some time and paying attention to Malachi? And paying attention to at the end in the passage where it says the Lord Almighty or some of your passages might say the Lord of Hosts? Do you notice that? If you go through there, it's the Lord Almighty, the Lord Almighty, or the Lord of hosts, the Lord of hosts, right? Time and time and time again, and you're kind of sitting there going, isn't that a little repetitive? Yes, it is, and there's a reason for that. In fact, Malachi, per percentage basis of of mention, is massive. It's about 43% of the time of the mention of Lord Almighty versus other texts. And there's a reason for that. It's to demonstrate to the people of God and those reading it that this tiny little nation that still did not have an army to protect itself, that still was a fledgling, that still was beginning to recover from exile, right, on a worldly basis had no means to protect itself. But let's take a clue here. The Lord Almighty, even though you don't have an army to protect yourself, You have a heavenly army, the Lord of hosts, behind God who protects you as a nation. And that becomes important because oftentimes when we look around we begin to wonder where is God and we look at the temporal aspects and we don't see his protection or his provision and yet we forget the spiritual aspect that God can call a host of angels at any point in time because he is the king of kings, the Lord of lords, the maker of heaven and earth, the Lord Almighty. And so one of the things that I want to show you as we walk through this, every time that you hear, says the Lord Almighty, two things I want you to remember. Number one, he has a host of angels behind him, and any army in this world, as powerful as it might be, will pale in comparison to the heavenly army that God has. Number two, and yet with that heavenly army, from which God could choose to wipe things out at a moment's notice. He continues to love and encourage and challenge his people to draw closer to himself. Sometimes through discipline, but ultimately through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Then it continues on, and it says, because of you, I will rebuke your descendants. I will spread, and this is, the, this is the part that I'll explain in a minute. I will spread on your faces the awful from your festival sacrifices, and you will be carried off with it. And you will know that I have sent you this admonition so that my covenant with Levi may continue, says the Lord Almighty. My covenant was with him, a covenant of life and peace, and I gave them to him. This called for reverence, and he revered me and stood in awe of my name. True instruction was on his mouth, and nothing false was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness and turned many from sin. For the lips of a priest ought to preserve knowledge, and from his mouth men should seek instruction, because he is the messenger of the Lord Almighty." Interestingly enough, a word play there. The messenger of the Lord Almighty, right? Malachi, his name is my messenger. And he's referring back to the Levitical priesthood, and I'll explain that as we travel through this passage, in being a true messenger of of the word of God. That's what's going on in this. And then... He says, verse eight, but you have turned from the way and by your teaching have caused many to stumble. You have violated the covenant with Levi says again, the Lord Almighty, the Lord of hosts. So I have caused you to be despised and humiliated before all the people because you have not followed my ways but have shown partiality in matters of the law essentially in common terms you become apathetic in your worship you know what you're told to do i've asked you to do this and yet what you're doing is you're showing partiality to it you're apathetic in what i'm asking you to do and so as we walk through this i want to show you a couple of things in verses one through four the first thing that i'd like to discuss or kind of show us is this that if you become apathetic toward god You are in danger of being taken out with the garbage. I'm just going to use that for emphasis, right? Now, here's what I want to tell you. God will never leave you nor forsake you. I don't want you worried. I don't want you thinking, oh my gosh, I'm going to lose my salvation. God isn't going to love me. But what I want to tell you is this. In your relationship with him, when things are hard, when you feel distant from God, One thing that you should ask yourself is, where is my heart for him? Because oftentimes, while we still can be loved, we still are part of God. We are still his. Our relationship with the Holy Spirit and the intimacy that we have with God can be in the garbage. When we look at this, And I want to show you a couple of things. We start off and it says, okay, this admonition is for the priests. If you do not listen and if you do not set your heart to honor my name, says the Lord Almighty, I will send a curse upon you and I will curse your blessings, right? Basically, what he's saying is I am tired of you coming forward with your leftovers, expecting you to give me my best. And so if you keep doing that, if you keep coming forward, trying to look good on the outside but not having a heart for me, I'm going to curse the blessings that you give. They're just not going to be produced anymore. And then he gets very serious. He says, not only am I going to curse them, but the bottom line is is I'm going to throw them in the trash. (laughs) Why? Because they're not worthy of my perfection. They're not worthy of my holiness. They're not worthy of my best and I've given you my best lovingly. And all I ask for is that you do what you can to give me your best. And yet you come forward, and you continue to give me leftovers and become upset when I don't give you my best. And then we see in verse 3, because of you I will rebuke your descendants. I will spread on your faces the awful some of you might see, the dung, Okay. What is awful? Okay. Awful were the internal organs of an animal traditionally regarded as being inferior meat. And they were used as a symbol of disgrace. When people would come forward as they should and bring a male goat to the offering, which is what they were asked to do so in their worship of God. They would sacrifice the animal. And then those of you that are hunters, right? When you have an animal, do you keep all of the innards? Okay, no, you don't. You gut it and you get rid of most of it. That's awful, okay? Now, I'm gonna get a little bit more graphic, right? A lot of the awful has to do with the area of what? Dung. You don't keep it, okay? What do you do with it? Leave it or throw it away. That's what they did. They would sacrifice the animal. They would take the offal. The offal would be there. And then afterwards, they would take that offal. They would remove it from the altar. They would carry it out. And they would throw it in the trash. Why? Because it's not needed, but more important, it's a symbol of disgrace. And what God is saying is if you keep coming forward, if you keep giving me half-hearted worship, I'm going to take that and I'm going to mark your face. Now, interesting enough, why is he doing that? Because then when they walked around the town, People would see the mark of the awful on their face and they would realize, yeah, you look good on the outside, but you're hypocritical in nature and your heart isn't for God. And you're a disgrace to his name. That's what God's doing. I don't know about you, but praise God that he doesn't do that for us today. Holy buckets because to be honest with you, there are days when I would have dung all over my face, and I would get up into this pulpit, and I would sit there, and I would preach His name, and I would say how holy he is, and you guys would be like, "Did you forget to shave? You got you got something on your face." And you'd come up, and you'd kind of rub it, and you'd smell it, and you'd be like, "Woo!" But that's what God's doing. And so interestingly enough, he's saying, look, if you keep doing this, I'm going to take this awful. And I'm going to spread it on your face, and then you're going to be carried off with it, and your descendants are going to be there. Now, why the descendants? In the blessing of God, in the Old Testament, to be blessed by God was to have, essentially, a lot of offspring, to have a big family, to be blessed. That's how you knew that you were blessed by him. When he comes forward and he says, look, I'm going to put this on your descendants, so, mark that he's saying, look, I'm going to remove my blessing from you. I'm going to completely pull it away. And you're going to be marked knowing that you were and are a half-hearted worshiper of my name. And then he says, and you will know that I have sent you with this admonition so that my covenant with Levi may continue, says the Lord Almighty, says the Lord of hosts. Now, we're going to transition because he brings up Levi in the covenant. And a couple of things that I want to show you. Levi, whose name in Hebrew means joined, attached, or joined in harmony, was one of the sons of Jacob. His descendants, right, So here is essentially the contrast. His descendants were set apart for service to God. These descendants were what formed the Levitical priesthood in the Old Testament. They were the ones that were set apart for the sacrificial system. They were the ones that were the priestly order that essentially administered and took care of the offering. And God chose Levi to do so, and then he begins to explain why he did for the following reasons. But before we get there, I want to take a minute, and I don't know about you, but right now I'm feeling kind of not really loved by God, right? Holy cow, like, you're going to put animal dung on my face and throw me out with the trash so that everybody knows that I'm a half-hearted worshiper of you. But you have to remember that as we travel through Malachi... The end is, I still love you, and I will bring you my best. Don't ever forget that. And that is what drives my heart to want to worship God more. Because I guarantee you there are days where I deserve to have dung spread on my face. But God says, I love you. I've given you my best. I will continue to give my best. I just ask that you give me yours. And God is loving and caring and patient and kind as I bumble and stumble and fumble and rumble to try to give God my best. I want to explain this, and then we're going to dive into verses five through seven. God's reason for confrontation and discipline is not meant to humiliate or embarrass the people of God. It's conditional. It will humiliate and embarrass them if they continue to do what they're doing. But ultimately, God doesn't want to humiliate or embarrass the people of God. It's meant to bring them back into a loving relationship with him. It's meant to draw them back. God wants to draw them back, not remove them to the garbage. But here's the point. The choice was theirs, as it is ours today. God says, Look, if you keep doing this, this is what I will do. Brothers and sisters in Christ, lovingly, what I want to tell you is God isn't going to, if you've placed your faith and trust in Him, say, Sorry, I'm now going to remove it. It's not good enough. But I can tell you that if in that you're sitting there and you're giving God half hearted worship, if you're giving god your leftovers if you're coming with an apathetic faith and you're wondering why god isn't blessing you god is sitting there saying i want to bless you and i'm there to bless you non-prosperity okay do not get that into your brain i want to bless you in my relationship with you but how can i when you keep bringing me an apathetic faith how can I bless the offering when you keep bringing me a broken animal? I can't do that because I, God, am perfect and you're bringing me an unperfect or blemished sacrifice. And then we continue on. And we get into verse 5 and it says this. My covenant was with him. Okay, back to Levi. A covenant of life and peace. That's what God desires. I want to give you a covenant of life. Okay, not just breathing, although that's good, but of life, of true, rich life with me, of love and intimacy and understanding and joy and purpose and plan. And I want to bring you peace. peace that passes all understanding. Peace that holds your heart close to mine. A peace that looks forward to my kingdom. A peace that recognizes your humility. Peace that recognizes your finiteness. A peace that recognizes your need for me. A peace that recognizes that when we look into the eyes of another brother and sister in Christ, we see God rather than a person who's a sinner or an adversary. All of those things I want to give to you. And that's what I've given to Levi. Then he says, a covenant of life and peace, and I gave them to him. This called, all I asked for was reverence, and he revered me and stood in awe of my name. That's what I asked of Levi. So here's what I want to ask you. Do you revere God truly? And do you stand in awe of his name? Oh, yeah, ah, oh, oh, I praise Jesus. No, do you stand in awe of God, who is the Lord Almighty, who is the maker of heaven and earth, who has given you eternal life, even though you don't deserve it, you have it? Do you stand in awe of him? Or do you look at him as a genie in the bottle to give you what you want, when you want, how you want, and where you want it? And when he doesn't, you get mad and rattle the bottle and say, It's broken! And then you throw it out with the trash. Oh, wait. That's what God says of us. And then he continues on. He says, true instruction, meaning of Levi, was in his mouth, and nothing false was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, uh, uprightness, and turn many from sin. For the lips of a priest ought to preserve knowledge, and from his mouth, men, meaning all mankind, men and women, should seek instruction because he is the messenger of the Lord Almighty, the Lord of hosts. Now, a couple of quick things for you. Um, as we look at this, right, um, I'm going to say this and I'm going to explain it. Similar to a father to his child, God does not stop loving his children. However, when they continue to be apathetic or show contempt toward him, their lives and their choices, he cannot bless their actions. Now, let me just talk about this for a minute. This is this is bigger, but you know, when when my kids, who I love, right? Who I say or try to discipline choose to throw that discipline away, right? When I go to them and I say, "Hey, I think this is what you should do." or this is what you're supposed to do, or this is what you're called to do. And then they come forward and they say, you know what, I heard that, but I decided to completely throw it out with, with you know, the baby without the, the, the bath water, just got rid of it. And now, now that I've done that, and now that I'm in a tight spot, I'm asking you to get me out of it. I mean, I love you, it's, I, I haven't stopped loving you. I will always love you. But I can't bless that I I can't sit there yeah go, go ahead go do that you have my blessing right that's exactly what God is doing right here he's not saying I don't love you anymore but he's saying if you're choosing to do this if you're choosing to walk in defiance if you're choosing to bring me leftovers if you're choosing to be apathetic in your faith toward me I will love you I have loved you I will always love you but I cannot bless what you're doing here how many of you as a parent have ever had to do that difficult tough love type thing that's exactly what's going on here tough love I love you I will always love you but I cannot bless or be a part of what it is that you are doing because my God's character is perfect and what you are doing is imperfect I can't bless that And what he's doing is he's turning the eyes of the people to look back to Levi, the establishment of the Levitical priesthood, the establishment of the covenant, recognizing that Levi's priesthood was perfect because he was a man who was upright before God, who revered his name, who wanted to be have him or sorry, to have God praised, who was in awe of his name. But you, O oh priests today are nothing but Levi. You look like him, you act like him, you talk like him, but your hearts are far from me. And so one of the things that I want to encourage you as we look into this, notice that we see a couple of things. Okay, My covenant was with him, a covenant of life and peace, and I gave them to him. This called for reverence, and he revered me. He stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, and nothing false was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness and turned many from sin. Okay? For the lips of a priest ought to preserve knowledge and from his mouth men should seek instruction because he is the messenger of the Lord Almighty. Summarizing kind of the idea is this is, this is the example I'm giving to you. This is what you should be doing. And in summary basically what's being said here is we all should have respect for God and his word. So, so the first question is do you have respect for God and his word? All of it Or do you come expecting God to bless you, but when you read his word and there's something in there that you don't like or it convicts you of your sin, you turn and you say, eh, I'm not going to pay attention to that, or eh, that's not meant for me. You should see my neighbor over here. They're the ones that need to read that passage, all the while you, by the Holy Spirit, are sitting there going, yeah, I probably should think about that. And then we should seek to know and walk according to its instruction. I wanna ask you something, okay? Lovingly, and this is a heart check for all of us. Do you come to church wanting God to bless you, or do you come to church wanting to know God's word and be obedient to its instruction? And therein lies your heart for God. And I know it's not popular, and I know you're not gonna like that sentence, but that needs to be preached from the pulpit. Where is your heart for God? Is it, bless me, bless me, bless me? Or is it, God, you've given me your best. I want to give you mine. And to give you mine, it's to know your word and do the best that I can while being a sinner, while stumbling, while bumbling, to know your word and to live according to its instruction, non-legalistically. And that's the gut check. That's the heart check that God is calling of his people. And then it continues on. And essentially we see in verse 8 the following aspect. Okay? The reason that God is so upset back in 5 and 7, the main point is that when we are apathetic toward him, it breaks God's heart to see his representatives become so apathetic and unclean. That's why God is so upset. You are my representatives, you are my church, you are my people. And yet you're apathetic toward me. And you're bringing me an unclean offering. And then in verses 8-9 through we see, however, while God still loves us, we have to suffer the consequences for our apathy. Sometimes, brothers and sisters in Christ, God will not stop loving you but God will say, look, you've made your choice, and I'm sorry, but right now with what you're doing and what you're bringing to me, I'm going to throw it out with the trash. It's just, it's just who God is. doesn't leave you, doesn't throw you out, doesn't kick you out of the family, but he might just say, you know what, I can't use this. It's no good to me. And to be honest with you, it's rotting. It's a disgrace. It's bringing imperfection. So my only option is to take your half-hearted offering, and throw it out with the trash. When I've warned you, when I've told you, when I've loved you, and all I've asked is that you bring me one male goat of all that you have to bring worship and honor to my name. That's it. But you have turned from the way And by your teaching have caused many to stumble. You have violated the covenant with Levi, says the Lord Almighty. And because of this, because you have made this choice, not I, because you, O people of God, I have caused you to be despised and humiliated before all the people. Again, reiterating, because you have not followed my ways, but have shown partiality in matters of the law. Now, recognize in the Old Testament, Individuals lived by the law. They were supposed to follow the law. Now we realize that the law was essentially to show us what? That we can't follow it. Paul says that himself, but Christ what? Was perfect and his sacrifice allows us to be perfect according to the law because of what he has done. Again, the more that I look at that and I realize holy cow, I, I mean, I don't know about you, but if I had to follow the law, phew, I think I didn't follow the law this morning. I think I'm guilty. But I've been made perfect because of who Christ is. I've been given the best through Jesus. So, the last thing or the, the little thing that I can do when I worship God in this understanding is I can come forward and say, of the herd that I have been given, God, when I come to you, I can give you the male offering. because you've given me everything. And God, help me to stop bringing blemished sacrifices before you in worship. The ESV essentially says this, okay? Um, when, we, when we see that God is going to humiliate them, right? And he says they've shown partiality in matters of the law. You're like, that's a little harsh, But this is the reason, and this is what we have to recognize, that they've earned it. They deserve it by their action. Why? Because they despised and failed to give honor to the Lord's name. And for that reason, because they had done that, they will be despised and abased before all of the people. Because you've done this, I will do the same. And so, here's what I want to just encourage you in. It's a conditional statement And so lovingly, what I want to say is this. It's not that it's finite. So brothers and sisters, what I want to ask of you this morning is, when you came into worship, where was your heart? Were you wanting to give God your best, or were you trying to get away with bringing a blemished offering to him today? And that's between you and him. Okay, I don't need to know. But I can tell you God does. And so lovingly, what I want to tell you is is as you go about your week, pray and say, God, look, where in my life am I bringing blemish sacrifices to you? How might I bring a perfect offering? And I'm putting that in quotes. I'm not asking you to be perfect. I'm not asking you to never sin. I'm not asking you to not have problems. But what I'm asking you is in your heart, where are you with God? And then what I'm going to leave you is with this, that when we realize our hearts have become apathetic toward God, we should repent and ask God for forgiveness. God, forgive me. I've been apathetic toward you. I'm coming with half-hearted worship. I'm looking and I'm asking you to give me your best when I'm not. We should repent. What does that mean? Not, oh, I'm sorry, but I'm going to keep doing it. What does repent mean? To turn from it to turn toward a different trajectory, knowing all the time, okay, that we might turn and we might stumble, we might turn and we might stumble, but God looks at the heart that's trying to turn and blesses the fact that we're doing what we can to turn from an apathetic heart toward a heart of worship for God. All the while, God is sitting there saying, I love you, my son, I love you, my daughter. Keep going in that trajectory. Or we might suffer the consequences for our apathy. And the consequences in this case for their apathy, again, is not that they're removed, not that they're no longer a son or a daughter of the living King, but their blessings can no longer be blessed. And so for us, we run dry with our relationship in the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit if your relationship is dry, if you're distant from God, if you're sitting there wondering where he is, perhaps, not all the time, sometimes we're called to wait on God, sometimes God is distant for a reason, but perhaps it could be that the reason for that distance is because you're apathetic toward him, and God the whole time is saying, I'm Bring me your best, and I will show you my best. And that's what's going on in this message. Let's pray. Father, we come before you today. And uh, Lord, I know this isn't a, a, a popular message. It's not an easy one to hear, but it is necessary for all of us. And Father, we thank you for how you brought about Malachi, your messenger to the people of God, in a time and in a place when they had become apathetic in their worship of him. Father, thank you that you didn't just annihilate them, that you didn't just say, I'm done. You didn't say, I'm no longer with them. But rather, you brought about this messenger to show them the error of their ways, to show them their divided heart, to show them that they were not truly after God's best. And because you loved them, You disciplined them. But while disciplining them, you never removed your faithfulness from them. And Father, that's what we have in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Lord, may we realize that at times our hearts may be far from you. And when they are far from you, we may suffer a consequence. Our life with you might be dry, we might have difficulty in life. But Lord, you never say, I'm done. And so, Lord, no matter where our heart is today, maybe it's distant from you. Maybe we're bringing you our leftovers. Maybe we're bringing you our best. Thank you that you love us and that you continue to draw us to yourself. And Father, may we look deep into each and every one of our individual lives and then our corporate lives as a body of faith. And just ask a simple question. Father, how might my heart move closer to yours? to aid me in giving you my best. And Lord, I guarantee that when we pray that prayer, you will take it and you will make it. And Father, we will see your name be glorified. We love you. We praise you. We pray all of these things in your name, dear Jesus. And we ask it by the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. And all God's people say, Amen.